is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I want to, uh, want to talk about uh, some stuff from Jeremiah. And if we've got uh, the first slide coming up, it's on the second one actually. Cool. We're used to a much smaller projector. <laughs> so if that makes you think, whoa, you need to stand back. But that's where we're going. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go into Jeremiah chapter 1, and we're going to kick in at verse 11. Uh, that's the text. If you haven't got a Bible, you just might use, use a bit of imagination for the bit down the bottom. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 1, and we're going to go from verse 11 to 19. I hope you're okay with me being down here. I don't know what you're used to, whether people normally stand up there. I'm not good with heights. Okay, I, I know you're thinking it's not very high. Um, actually, heights isn't the big issue. I wander around, so I'd probably fall off. So you, you, for me, you'd need some sort of fence thing up here to stop me falling over the edge. Heights, heights and blood, I don't do well. Okay, so if there's any first aid issues, then you'll need someone else to deal with that. I was out in the garden working yesterday, and I cut my finger, and uh, my 11-year-old son instantly went into, Daddy, you all right? And he was concerned. It wasn't like me looking after him. <laughs> it was him like, are you going to be all right, Dad? Are you going to be okay? Look away. And he gave me instructions on how to deal with it. And uh, I was all right. So just so you know, what a mighty man of God you've got with you this morning, heights and blood, I don't do. Okay. In fact, our antenatal classes, I've got four children. Our antenatal classes, I used to pass out in all of them. Okay. Before we'd even got to the birth. They used to sit me, if, if he was in this room, they'd sit me by the door over there. Um, with a window open so that I could just bail out when I needed to. All right? And uh, that, that, that's the type of person I'm. I survived all the births. My wife was principally involved, of course, you understand. But I, I survived them all as well. And uh, that was probably one of the biggest miracles. So let's, let's, let's crack on. Jeremiah chapter 1, before I tell you more things about myself and you start walking out. Jeremiah chapter 1, and we'll kick in at verse 11. Okay, And the word of the Lord came to me, that's Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster should be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. They shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them lest I dismay you before them. And I behold I make you this day a fortified city an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Father, thank you that we know you're with us. Not just in our worship times, wonderful though that is. Thank you we can know your presence as we gather together. Thank you we can know you as we individually give our, give our hearts to you and give devotional time to you. Thank you we know you're there. But actually you're always with us. 
you, you said you'd never leave us. I want to pray, God, that for each of us this morning, we would go from this place just more confident, more aware, more encouraged by that sense of your total commitment to us, your promise to always be with us, whether it's, whether it's through dark times, as we've heard this morning already, whether it's times when we're struggling to find out what's going to happen, how's this going to work? Father, we can always be confident that you are with us. Hallelujah. So I pray, I pray again, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and have your way with us afresh. Now teach us, I pray, O oh God. Help us to go from this place just with a greater desire to make Jesus famous. In this city, in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our neighbours, in our workplaces, for everything that you've called us to. Inspire us, I pray, O oh God, this morning. Teach us for your glory, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, I don't know how much you know about this geezer, Jeremiah. I'll do a very, very brief um, paraphrase of who he was. He was uh, called to be a prophet about 627 BC, so he's not a recent character. He was still a youth. He was financially dependent on his parents, and he served God for over 40 years. At the time of his call, the king was a guy named Josiah. Josiah was the last good king. He was the last good king. And uh, he introduced reforms which the people responded to. Interestingly, though, they only responded to somewhat half-heartedly. Jeremiah introduced loads of things like, let's get back to this, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And the people seemed to have gone along with that. So there seemed to be some sort of turning. But actually, as time goes on, you get to realize in Jeremiah's insights, oh, well, this was only a tokenistic thing. This wasn't a real heart change. So as we're praying for revival, as we're wanting God to, to move in our lives, in other people's lives, as we want to see him transform communities, let's, let's never settle for anything less than complete repentance, yeah? We, we want people to come to a place of complete repentance. We want God to move on them so that their lives are totally changed, don't we? We're not just interested in getting more people to stop swearing. We're not interested in just getting people to listen to different types of music or whatever. We're not interested in slightly adjusting people's ideologies. We want to meet Jesus, Want to have their lives transformed by this King Jesus, don't we? Yeah, we're not, even getting people onto church on Sunday morning—that isn't the be-all and end-all. Why do we want them here? Because we want them to encounter Jesus. Yeah, we want them to meet King Jesus. We want them to have their lives changed by this King Jesus. So King Josiah was the last faithful king. His death in 609 BC marked the beginning of the end for the nation of Judah. There were several changes of ruler, but the other two key characters I want to tell you about was a guy called King Jehoiakim, who kept switching alliances around, kept manipulating things, kept trying to manoeuvre to, to get the best deal for his nation, whilst all the time turning his back on God and hating Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not Jehoiakim's number one person to have around. There was a hatred, there was a hostility from Jehoiakim towards Jeremiah. The final king was a guy by the name of Zedekiah. He was an inconsistent man who would come and seek uh, Jeremiah's counsel, Say, what should I do? What do you reckon? Come on, seek God for me. Tell me what to go do here. What should I go? And Jeremiah would tell him, and then he'd just ignore it. And he'd come again a little bit later and say, no, come on, what to seek God for me? And Jeremiah said, well, this is what you've got to do. And Zedekiah would then just ignore it. Okay, So that's, that's the backdrop of, of Jeremiah's life. Those are the type of people he was working around. I, well, the reason I want to say, you need to understand what we're talking now. Jeremiah had a difficult life. He was working with these characters. His messages of repentance that he delivered at the temple didn't go down well. 
His hometown plotted against him, and he actually endured much persecution in the pursuit of his ministry. It seems that there were only two converts that he had from his entire 40 years of service. That's not a particularly good track record, is it? We're, we're hoping for more now. <laughs> two, two converts in 40 years. A guy called Barak, who was his secretary, and another guy called Emed Melek. Those are the two we read about in Jeremiah that actually took seriously what Jeremiah said and responded to it. Two people at God's commands, Jeremiah never married. And throughout, although we're not told Jeremiah's place and time of Jeremiah's death exactly, it seems he was kited off to, to Egypt with a few people that were left against his will, hostage maybe even, and it looks as though he died there. Jeremiah had a hard time of it. It wasn't the sort of thing that I think you want to sign up for. Yeah, I would love to. I, you know, I'd love to preach for 40 years and have just two people saved. That's really what I would like. I don't think many of us, if we knew that was what was going to happen, we'd think, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that, and I'm just going to see an incy-bincy bit happen. It's not often the way we perceive it, is it? We sign up for something, normally there's a sense of colouring with what we want to see happen. And that's good. But Jeremiah's experience wasn't that. He saw probably only two people. He certainly received an awful lot of hostility. And he had a hard time. Interestingly, he's often known as a, he's got a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a, uh, a mournful, uh, weepy, grumpy type of guy. That's actually very unfair. Um, he dealt with an awful lot of hostility. And actually, what's amazing is you read again with the people's hostility that Jeremiah is always pouring out God's grace and his plan of redemption for them. Okay, so if you're the sort of person that you know, I, I want to read that, then it's inspiring. I've really enjoyed reading about this guy and some of his interactions with people and how that worked out. Okay, what do we want to do with this? Well, right at the beginning of the chapter, which I didn't read for you, is where Jeremiah's called. It's a little dance. <laughs> where Jeremiah is called, okay? And uh, Jeremiah wasn't very confident in God's calling on him. God comes to Jeremiah and he says, look, I want you to do this. And Jeremiah says, well, well, not me. I'm only a youth. I'm only a youth. Now, that may not be your uh, reason for pushing God away or wanting to hold back on something. But let me just encourage you. That if God's ever asked you to do something, you thought, no way. You're actually in probably a pretty good place. I don't read too many people. I've read the Bible a few times. I don't know every bit. I'm, like Graham, I don't know every, every chapter in the Bible. I know the Psalms a bit better than him, but I don't know every chapter. <laughs> I don't know of anyone in the Bible, when God came to them, he said, I'd like you to do this. I said, well, about time. I've been waiting, God, for you to get yourself sorted out. You've used them. They're no good. You use them. I can do a better job than them. So now you've finally got yourself sorted out, God. Yes, I am ready. What was it you wanted me to do? I don't read of too many people in the scriptures who have that reaction when they encounter God's and God says, come on, let's go for a run, or let's go and do something. Mostly, it tends to be a, you're joking. Me? In the world, no way. And we're not talking about a false humility. It says, oh God, <laughs> yes, no, I'm re- I really am not very good, but um, go on, tell me some more about myself. No, we're not looking at that. We're looking at a sense, a genuine sense of inadequacy. H- how many of you can identify with that? Okay. A sense of inadequacy that, 
I'm not cut out to do the things that I believe God has told me he wants me to do. I probably contemplate that at least once a day, maybe once an hour. All right, That I'm not in any sense equipped, resourced, the person who is supposed to do the things that God has got ahead of me. In fact, we, we, uh, I remember just recently um, on a Sunday morning, just one of our young students coming up to me and uh, saying, oh, it's really great here, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> I was sort of looking around thinking, is it really? And actually just listening to some of her enthusiasm, because I'd taken my eye off the ball about some of the great things that God was doing. I got more tapped into the minutiae, the things that weren't going very well, the fact that we hadn't got this, we hadn't got that. And just being encouraged again with the sort of things that God was doing. You see, we need to be confident in our calling. And by that, I don't just mean people like me that get paid to be a Christian. Okay, I mean all of us in our own settings. So whatever your setting is, and I don't know you at all, but whatever your setting is, if you believe God's called you to be there, I want you to be confident. Don't say, I'm only a youth, or whatever your excuse might be. Because actually, when Jeremiah says that to God, God argues with him. God confronts him. See, I hope, you, I hope you're confident. I hope you believe that everything belongs to God. So whatever your workplace are, whoever your neighbours are, whatever your setting is, whatever your circumstances, those are circumstances and settings that God is interested in and wants to work through you in that setting. I hope you believe that. Everything belongs to God. Not just things you might think, well, that's a sacred part of it. Yeah, I can see that. But no, actually everything. Everything we do belongs to God. And as his people, you and me, we're called to have a positive influence on society. Do you, do you believe that? Yeah, that you can make a difference in your setting. That's not wishful thinking. That's not me trying to butter you up. That's not me saying, if I say a few, thing, a few nice things about them, they'll listen to the rest of it. No, that's what I believe. Every setting that you are in, there is the potential to glorify God. Every single setting, there's the potential to glorify God. And often we lack confidence. We lack confidence in our calling to be involved. So, when God encounters Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I'm only a youth, I can't do that, I'm only a youth. And you might say, I'm too old. I'm too busy. I, I can't do that. That's not my gift mix. I haven't got those skills. I can, no, that can't be me, God. When you would say that to God, God might not say, don't say I'm only a youth. He might say, don't say you're too old. Don't say you're too busy. Don't say you haven't got that gift mix. Because I've called you. And God says three things to Jeremiah. I'm just going to quickly do those before we move on. Three, three reasons when God encounters Jeremiah that I think are applicable to you, and I don't even know you. But if you're a believer, if you love Jesus, then you can be confident in these three things. Why? One, because your life is rooted in the unshakable, sovereign purposes of God. Your life is rooted in the unshakable, sovereign purposes of God. You've been chosen, consecrated, formed and appointed for a great purpose. Do you believe that? Or did you just fall into this Christianity lark? You just thought, yeah, turn out. It's just a, just a bit of a phase, maybe. No, God rescued you. He called you. He, he set you aside. Before the foundation of the world, God chose you. God is initi- God's the one who's initiating here. This isn't Jeremiah's idea. You Becoming a Christian wasn't your idea. It isn't something you thought of. 
You didn't wake up one day. Do you know what? I think I'll do the shopping and then um, I'll, I'll just watch a bit of gym. Now I think I might become a Christian. It doesn't tend to. It could your story could be that? So forgive me if that's uh, being trivial with your story, okay? But that isn't what happens. God breaks into our lives for a purpose. Second reason is God's authority, not your own. Behind your going and speaking. See, that's what happens. That's why we lose confidence. We think, do you know what? I'm not up to this. Do you know what? You're right. (laughs) You're right. I'm not up to this. It's God's grace and God's strength, God's authority that is behind our going and speaking. And actually, thirdly, because God himself promises to be with Jeremiah to deliver him in all his trials. So isn't God says, come here, sunshine. Let me tell you some things. Right, you got that? You got that? Go that right off you go. Don't bother. No, yeah, no, don't bother. I'm busy. Go on, no, leave me alone, yeah, off you go. God doesn't do that. He promises to always be with us. Okay, he promises never to leave us. We can be confident in a God that says, I want to deliver you, I want to be with you in all your trials. So what happens next is that God moves Jeremiah on. He's given him that calling. He's encountered him with his questions. I'm only a youth. No, I'm with you. I've called you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. In all settings. And now, now God starts to train the young Jeremiah. He asks him what he sees. In verse 11 and 12, which is where we started off. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. The Lord said to me, you've seen well. I'm watching over my word to perform it. You have to say, it's a pretty unspectacular image. It's an almond branch. Big deal. An almond branch. How many times (laughs) the branch isn't even doing anything? It's not like there's a swing on it or something like that. You can make it a bit prettier or get, get, get a bit of imagination. Right? It's just a jolly almond branch. That's all it is. How many times? How many times have you seen something from God or heard something from God and thought, is that it? Is that all it is? Seriously, you want me to step out on just that? That's all you're telling me. How many times have we, that gives that our experience? It's very simple. But it doesn't sound very impressive. It's just a, just a jolly almond branch. Come on, give me a bit more. What about a great forest of trees? What about, what about uh, animals moving through them, jumping all over them? What about something that's really going to grab people's interest? It's an almond branch. Yeah, an almond branch. What, anything? No, just an almond branch. That's all it is. Actually, a lot of the times God speaks to us, it's a very simple truth. Very simple truth. The gospel itself is a very simple truth. It's very simple. John 3 verse 7 says this. You must be born again. Well, how much more simple do you want that? You, who could that be? That's me. Must, mm, is there a choice? You must be born again. Complete change. Simple truth. It's not ambiguous. It's simple. Jesus in John 14, 6 says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's tricky. 
So Jesus is saying, oh, you can do whatever you like, and it doesn't really matter. And No, it doesn't. I am the way. It doesn't even say one of the ways. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, well, maybe a few, no, no one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Why did God come? What did God do about our sin? Jesus came. To rescue people that didn't need it? No. To save sinners like me, of whom I was the worst. Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay, again, that's tricky, isn't it? Lots of room for maneuver there. Oh, gaps in between, you can see opening up. No, it's quite whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. There's no middle option. There's no middle option. These are simple truths. You do not need a university degree to get these truths. Children can happily understand them, appreciate them, and respond to them. Okay? It's one of the reasons why we're very excited when children become Christians. Not because they think, oh, isn't it sweet? Oh, she's so cute as well. No, they can understand and appreciate what the gospel is. You do not need to have an incredible understanding. The gospel's simple truth. And you see, actually, if that's where you are, you come to a place where you've given your life to Jesus based on simple truth, God would say the same as he says to Jeremiah, you have seen well. You've seen well. That's what he says to Jeremiah. When he says, I could just see an almond branch, that's all it is. Jeremiah, you've seen well. But I just gave my life to Jesus. It just seemed like the obvious thing to do. He loved me so much. He died for my sin. Hey, do you know what? You've seen well. You've seen well. Notice how crucial too it is that we see what God shows us and we speak of that. God isn't too interested in Jeremiah's theories at this stage. There's no discussion with Jeremiah about how the training program is going to develop. God just gives him a task. What can you see? Actually, seer was the old-fashioned word that was used for a prophet. You know, someone, a man or a woman that could see things. It was the word seer. God wants to know what Jeremiah can see. Not what he thinks, not what his opinions are, not what his values in life are even, not where he sees himself being in 10 years. Wants to know what he can see. What can you see, Jeremiah? Is that what we talk about? Do we talk about what we can see? Or do we talk about what we, can th- what we think? What our opinions are? Let's make sure we talk of things that make an impression on our soul. Things that resonate with us. Things that God has imparted to us. Let's not give our energy and passion to causes that may prove to be fads or passing phases. Let's be those that tell of what we see clearly. No more, no less. What can you see? What do you know? What has God shown you? You see, 
When God said to Jeremiah, what can you see? Jeremiah didn't say, well, just some sort of branch. No, he, he knew. He knew it was an almond branch. I don't know if he had to Google it or anything like that, but he knew it was, a, it was, a, it was an almond branch. I don't know if he was a gardener, whether it was a book he had to look up, or whether someone said, oh, Jeremiah, that's, yeah, I could draw a picture of that. Oh, that's an almond branch. I don't know. But he could discern, he could tell that it was an almond branch. And he said that. However, he didn't embellish his description either. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful, strong, light gray branch. It's flickering in the wind. And it's blown around. There's a bird settling on it. Yeah, yeah I can see that. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's fluttering. Always a few twigs falling off. And, uh, yeah, it just reminds me of the time when I was feeling low. And uh, no, he doesn't do that at all. He says what he can see. No more, no less. I see an almond branch. We need to be those that speaking begins with our eyes. Let's speak of what we see. Let's speak of the revelation that God has given us such that when we make simple declarations, the affirmation of God comes back. Hey, you've seen well. You've been faithful. You've seen well. You've talked out what I have shown you. You see, there's no small significance in Jeremiah identifying specifically which tree it is. The almond tree was significant. It was the first tree to bud. I didn't know this. I had to read it and find out. I'm not that horticultural. It's the first tree to bud in spring. And so it was said to watch for the spring. That's how the people in that culture, in that context, would have understood it. So God says that he's watching over his words for the first opportunity to carry out his threats and promises. Jeremiah can expect that when he speaks God's words, the words will come true. There's a slight play on words, which we miss in the English. Okay? And I'm no Hebrew scholar, so if you're a fluent Hebrew speaker this morning, my apologies for my pronunciation. You can talk to me afterwards and correct me. Uh, it, the almonds, the word almonds, is a Hebrew word, shaked. And uh, God states, you seem well, I'm watching. And the word watching is shaked. There's, there's one letter change. Oh, excellent. There's a letter change, all right? So, good man. The play on words. God is watching over his word to perform it. We need to have confidence in a God who is able, who wants to act quickly. All of a sudden, God can come and bring transformation. All of a sudden, he can bring about that which he plans. All of a sudden, God can move and springs here. You see, we get used to the fact that we've got dates and calendars and we know everything comes on, but we don't get used to looking for indications. They tend to sort of, oh yeah, daffodils are up, it'll be, it'll be spring, so it'll get warm. You notice things around you. I mean, classically, everyone says, don't they, when the clocks go back, oh, it's getting much darker now. As though it's never, ever done it before. <laughs> oh yeah, it's getting much lighter now in the evenings. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it happens every year. <laughs> But we don't tend to notice indications that that means this will be coming or that means that will be happening. If you're a gardener, and I'm not really, my wife does the gardening, I just do as I'm told. If you are a gardener, then you'll maybe be used to looking for indications around you of what's happening out there. That's, that's the illustration that God was using here. And he, he's telling Jeremiah, I, I, I'm going to move. I'm going to move. There's going to be things happening. 
there's an almond branch. It's a sign that I'm watching over my words to perform it. You see, God is able in a moment to bring transformation. Even today, in this nation, there will be many, many people giving their lives to him. Yeah, he's able to move in a second and bring transformation. If you don't know Jesus, he's able to do that to you this morning. He's able to meet with you where you are, reveal himself to you, show you your need of forgiveness of sin, and cause you to come to a place of repentance where you cry out to him for mercy and he meets you in that. He's able to do that. You think, well, you don't know my story. Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, they could do that for my friend, but you don't know his story. You're right, I don't. I don't know where your life pattern is up to now. Do you know what I do know? I know there's a God that can break in and nothing's impossible for him. He can bring transformation in an instant. In an instant, he can move. Many can turn to God, even this very day. And do you know what? As they turn to him, they'll find him ready to forgive. It's not like, oh, actually, well, let, me, let me check my notes. Oh, hold on, what do I need to do here? No, God is instantly able to reach out in mercy. You and I may sometimes struggle to handle a situation like where someone's thinking, oh, well, how do I lead them through here? What do I give them next? What's... God always knows. And God's never caught on the hop, is he? He's never surprised by it. In fact, the story of the prodigal son, it says that when the prodigal son came to his senses, the prodigal son arose and came to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. God can run to you this morning. God can run. As you take your first faltering steps towards him, he's ready. doesn't catch him out. He's been looking for you to come back. He's been looking for you. He's been watching for you. And then he runs to you doesn't just leave you to stagger around. He runs to you and meets you and encounters you. You can know in a very moment today, you can know the completeness of salvation and forgiveness. You can know that the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, having a transformational impact on you today, as all your sin is forgiven, you give your life to him, and you're born again, made a brand new creation. I can see an almond branch. Something's about to happen. Spring is on the way. God is on the move. It could happen in an instant. What about those of you who are believers, but maybe you've grown cold? God can come to you in an instant. God can take your hardness of your heart. God can take the insipidity. Insipid, insipidity? Yeah, I'll go with that. Insipidness is probably the word I want. God can take your lack of passion. Yeah, we'll go with that. God can take your lack of passion. You're experiencing it at the minute and finding hard, just a, it's dry, there's nothing going on in there. God can encounter you in an instant and restore you and renew you, invigorate you with a passion for Him that you've seen in others and you thought was something to be observed, not for you to experience. God can break in in an instant. It's amazing, isn't it, when we come back to God and we bring ourselves to God. He never sort of shakes his head at us, thinking, well, yeah, okay. Not too sure if you are really serious this time, because we've been here before, haven't we? God doesn't do that with us. In fact, for those of you who are parents, modelling this sort of forgiveness with your children, I think it's one of the hardest things to do. 
when you know they've done something before and they were sorry, but do you know what? They've done it again. I remember hearing a story. This, this actually wasn't me. I would say if it was, I'm not embarrassed about this, it wasn't me, where a, a child had spilt something, a drink, I think, on a carpet and uh, came to his dad. His dad was, oh, for goodness sake, Luke, that's not good, is it? Okay, I'm sorry, I forgave him. And then as he started to move everything out of the way, he'd gone miles more than he thought. So he hadn't just spilt a little bit, it was like everywhere. And the dad was like, oh, look, look at this mess! And the son said, Dad, Dad I thought you'd forgiven me. I- I'd said sorry for spilling the drink. I thought you'd forgiven me. Spot on. Dad, very humbly, asked his son, to forgive him. Because it wasn't the nature, the extent of the damage that the son was apologizing. It was the fact that he'd knocked it over. God is ready to forgive. He's not like a disappointed headmaster that shakes his head and tuts, tuts, tuts. Yes, well, okay, we've been here before, haven't we? No, you'll find God ready to forgive. You'll find God ready to restore, ready to say, okay, come on, let's run again. Ready to grab you by the hands and take you on an adventure. God can run to you this morning. He can move to you this morning. If your heart's cold, it doesn't have to stay like that. God can encounter you. I can see an almond branch. Spring's on the way. Something's about to happen. God's on the move. For those of you in trouble or difficulty, God can run to you this morning. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. That's Psalm 34, 17. God can meet you in your trouble. We already heard, haven't we, that illustration of the darkness. Jesus wants to break in with his light. That can happen in an instant. I'm not saying that out of wishful thinking. We always want people's problems to be solved instantly. But God can change and make a difference in an instant. He can encounter you in it. Very often when we have our problems and we bring them to God, God actually deals more with us than the problem. But he always encounters us. He always deals with us in it. He doesn't always take the problem away, which is what I'd like him to do. He doesn't always do that, does he? He doesn't always say, do you know what, Michael, you poor thing? Yeah, I tell you what, let me, let me take that out of your way so it's just much easier for you. That's not always my experience. But he always gives us grace, energy, so that we can bear it and continue in joy. So it isn't just, okay, I've got this thing to carry on with. No, actually, he gives us grace and joy for it. And you can read stories of people. You can watch people around you that are dealing with horrific stuff. But just with a wonderful sense of joy and the peace of God in their lives. Not with, a artificial gr- whoops. Not with an artificial grin stapled to their face. But with a sense of knowing contentment. And God's peace, even within the difficulty. God can meet you this morning. He's able to deliver, to heal, to redeem, to give hope where hope has gone. He can do that. I can see an almond branch. Something's about to happen. Spring's on the way. God is on the move. The second vision comes for Jeremiah. It's a little more complicated. It's a little more involved. It has more obvious application. There's a boiling pot Facing away from the north. I don't want to move on to that. It's the armor branch I want us to focus on. We must not be those that misunderstand the significance of small beginnings. 
of God knowing what he's doing in his training program and of our need to be obedient and to see well. That's what God said when Jeremiah saw the almond branch. God said, you've seen well. He didn't say, well, that's, yeah, it's just an almond branch, big deal. Okay, okay, Jeremiah, let's give you something harder to do. A bit like a teacher might do. Oh, you've done those calculations. Okay, let's give you some harder ones. Big deal, you've done the easy ones. No, you've seen well. You've seen well. None of us are beyond the need for training. But unfortunately, it is possible to be so convinced of our own abilities that we can despise what we consider insignificant. We can be like that. We can have such a grand design, a grand desire for what we want to do, that actually those insignificant, out-of-sight training tasks that are just perfect for developing our character, we can look down our nose at them. We can think, well, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. Find out what you can do. Faithfully, reliably do it to the best of your ability. Whether anyone comments on your good servant heart or not. Okay? That's what we need to do. Do it faithfully. Do it reliably. People might encourage us. But you know what? They might not notice either. I'm sure you're a very warm and caring bunch. I'm not bringing that as an indictment over you. But I can't promise you that we always notice what everyone's doing. And sometimes, that's been my experience, and sometimes what I've done, people have noticed because they think it's gone wrong. They think it's not very good. But I know God saw the motives in my heart and why I was going to do it. And I know he says to me at those times, don't worry, Michael, you've seen well. You might have carried it out like a bit of an idiot, but you've seen well. Okay, That's God's affirmation for us. Don't say... It's only an almond branch. What's the point of that? Jesus said one who is faithful in a little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a little is also dishonest in much. Are you able to be faithful in a little? Or are you only interested in the high profile stuff? Jesus says quite clearly, if you can't get on with the seemingly insignificant stuff of loving your wife, honoring your husband's, Disciplining your children, making tea and coffee, getting here early to welcome new people. If we're not think that's beneath us, then Jesus would say we've missed the point. If we can't do the insignificant stuff, Jesus seems to be saying we wouldn't be able to hack the more high profile stuff. I'd love I'd love to have had a pound. For every time someone had said to me, Oh, Michael, God really wants to use me. What can I do? What can I do? I'd do anything. Maybe I've said to them something like, It'd be really great if you could just get here early to welcome new people. We're getting loads of new people at the minute. It'd be great if there was a friendly face here to welcome them. Or, well, we need chairs put away at the end. You don't need that, do you? We need chairs, but we don't, actually, we don't need that anymore, do we? Uh, we need this put away at the end. Would you be able to do that? Can I, can I leave you that to do? Often, not always, but there's a bit of a drop in the face. There's a drop in the can. Oh, oh, is that all? Is, is that all you want me to do? Yeah, actually, that's really important. Sometimes, sadly, not always, but sometimes the outcome is that that task is then not faithfully, reliably, accurately, consistently carried out. And you just notice. You think, 
oh yeah, where's, where's Basil? He said he was going to be here early to welcome. He doesn't seem to be, yeah, okay. And then after, there's an apology, but actually you, you notice it's not been picked up. If we're going to be a people who see great things happen, individually and corporately, then we need to be people that make sure that little things happen too. If you or I are too big for little things, then we're actually too little for big things. Don't say it's only an almond branch. God wants to say to you, you've seen well. Now, my intention is not to make you feel guilty. That's not much. If you think, oh, yeah, I'm dreadful at that. I'm awful. Oh, I'm, I'm just rubbish. Yeah, Michael, I thought, oh, no. No, if you've, done, if you've let people down, you just need to go and apologize. That's easy. Might take a bit of courage. And I'm not trying to recruit people. Graham hasn't said, look, we need people for this and we need people for that. Can you do us a favor, wind them up a bit and see if you can get a few people signed up. For... That's not my intention. But I want us to be a people that God can say over us, you've seen well. You've seen well. And the indication from Jeremiah is that we need to make sure we don't look past the little things. It's only a jolly almond branch, for goodness sake. That's all it is. Let's get on to the bigger stuff about nations and armies and this and that and baskets of figs and all these sort of things that come later. This is how God started with Jeremiah. You see, we mustn't be naive. See, if you and I miss the importance of the almond branch, if we despise that day, is that it? Just a jolly almond branch? Oh, come on, give me something better than that. If we miss that day, if we despise that day, then maybe we'll miss the day of speaking to royalty, which came to Jeremiah later. Maybe we'll miss the day of addressing nations, which came to Jeremiah later. Maybe we'll miss the day of bringing hope to many which came to Jeremiah later. Let's, let's make sure we're a people here of whom God says to you individually and to you corporately, you have seen well. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.